0: Welcome to the show this week. I have an amazing guest. She has become one of my favorite people. I absolutely adore her. Her name is Tracy Orson. We met on LinkedIn and I joined one of her conversations for Your Business Peeps. She is also the founder of TLB Coaching. but Tara Argo is her partner in Your Business Peeps. Guys, I love what Tracy does because just take a listen for a second. This is a quote from her LinkedIn profile. History tells us we can't belong unless we're the same. But what if we could create togetherness based on our uniqueness instead? If that doesn't speak to our world, guys, in the neurodistinct environment and how we are looking to find community and connection in the world and how we are working so diligently to transform the workforce to be a place that is togetherness based on our uniqueness. Instead, I couldn't think of any more perfect person to have this conversation with today. Stick around. This month in August, we're celebrating Autistics in the Workforce campaign. This is part of my NeuroDistinct Workforce movement. The NeuroDrive team is hosting a panel every Thursday and even Friday at the end of the month on the 26th we'll be having an amazing workshop around recruiting and careers. Make sure you tune in and check out the replays it'll be available through the end of the month for each one of these panels. We're talking all about communication styles between different brains. We're talking about accommodations, preferences and needs in the workplace. We're also visiting what it means to have culture. What is a company culture and how do we feel psychologically safe? How do we as companies begin to transition so that we are more inclusive and create psychological safety for all brain types? And then we're looking into, what are the things that we can do individually as we're going through the recruiting and career change process that many of us do go through within our lifetime, changing jobs, looking for promotions, seeking, seeking different positions, maybe within new industries. There's so much to talk about. So be sure you tune into the Mind Your Autistic Brain events page and not miss one of these upcoming events. Tracy, welcome to the show. I am so excited you are here today. Thank you, Carol Jean. I am equally excited to be here. <laughs> you and I have had some really fantastic conversations and oh my gosh, I I never leave a conversation or a your business peeps networking event or a workshop or a training or a live that you do on LinkedIn that I'm not going, oh my gosh, wow, I feel seen. I feel heard. I feel like I just learned something new about myself. I learned something new about other people. And this has just Change the way that I'm showing up in the world. Honestly,
1: (laughs) I have a very big smile on my face. I have a feeling that my face is going to hurt by the end of this interview. (laughs) This is what we're all about at your business, peeps. So, so my co-founder Tara Argo and I—we both equally experienced in our corporate work environments. Just, you're just. We're there. We're there to do things. Right. We've got a job description. We've been contracted to do it. But there's no belonging. There's no feeling seen and heard. People will like help with like work tasks if they have to. But there's not really that level of belonging and feeling. Right. I think there's a lot of feeling that's missing in the work environment. So that's what we endeavor to create at Your Business Peeps is. We welcome everybody by name into a session, and sometimes there's a lot of people, so it takes a minute. <laughs> um, and, and we give everybody the opportunity to speak to however they're comfortable, right? Sometimes people just chat because that's what they're comfortable with. Sometimes people have a thing that's going on for them and they spend a lot of time talking about it. This is where human relationships are built, not by someone forcing you. To do something I think you should do, but by showing up and being you and having conversations and hanging out,
0: being seen. And I love that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a networking event. It was, you know, late in the evening, and gosh, we had a huge full room that night. And we had an amazing event happen. Um, one of our members got a phone call. And she was offered a position for something she had been interviewing for. And she actually ended up having two offers, which was really exciting. But because we had all gotten to know each other, we knew her journey and her story and what this meant to her, that when she got that call during that event and we all saw her, you know, and she sort of went off, we were all sort of secretly like sitting there cheering and waiting, like with bated breath. And when she came back and shared, you know, and you asked her like, Okay, we we saw the was that the call? Was that the call? And it was like we had the whole room like cheering and and really lifting up and supporting her. And that to me was just such a beautiful experience and really is what authentic connection and community is about. And it's you know, showing up as you are and whatever that looks like. And you know, you always start the meeting you or Tara do, and it's like, you know, hey show up with like your personal brand. Like, who are you? Why are you here? What are you, what are you wanting to do in the world? You know, just that not, you know, this is what my business does in the usual elevator pitch, but it's like, show up and just share who you are and and why why you're here, what's important to you, or, you know, what's on your heart today. And I love it because, you know, you guys will always throw in sort of another little interesting conversation piece. So we had one about travel in that particular meeting. And I loved it because, you know, everybody's sharing like their favorite place to go. And what was cool, it was the conversation sort of shifted. And it was like some of those future-based trips people wanted to take. And so then we had sort of the dreaming aspect of it. And none of that would have happened. And none of that really beautiful connections that happens in those events would have been possible if we had shown up with our elevator pitch and our agenda of ticking off some boxes of networking. This is a totally different thing. And what I love about what you do in the world, Tracy, and we're going to get into this because today we're talking about transformations in corporate culture, how we're perceiving ourselves, how others are perceiving themselves. And because one of the things you have this amazing article that you wrote yesterday, and the title is, if we treat our people like robots, is digital transformation ever possible? And I love that because, you know, last week you also talked about transformation and just like what that means. But I really want to get into this because we're going to be talking about how, the how of transformation, the how of looking at creating culture within our workforce, which ultimately bleeds over into our life and our life bleeds over into our work life. And when we try and compartmentalize and separate the two, we are not really in well-being with ourselves and other people. So Tracy, I I want you to share what transformation is and then what digital transformation is, what the difference is, and sort of why digital transformation, especially today, and when we're looking at remote and hybrid work is really an important aspect to work and life. Mm -hmm. So to put it simply,
1: A transformation is a culture shift. Whether you're looking at it from like a personal transformation, I kind of love to look at our individual personal brands as a culture. These are the things we believe. We take action based on our values. That is what a culture is. And so we all have that individual culture as well. And so when you look at a transformation, it's that we're taking different actions because we believe something different. And so not we're just taking different actions because a lot of people do that, right? Someone will tell you to do a thing and you're just like, okay, but I think this is dumb and I don't believe anything different. I'm just doing it because I'm told. Um, Happens a lot in the work environment, even to people who like their jobs. (laughs) So a transformation is that change in belief system. I now believe something different and therefore I'm going to show up and take different actions that are aligned with the different beliefs that I have. And I believe that in every... Moment, every conversation with a human, transformation is possible because we can learn something from everybody as long as we're paying attention, (laughs) as long as we're listening. Um, So, extrapolate that to a digital transformation. It's about changing our relationship with the digital landscape. It's about having conversations that, quite honestly, impacted the in person work environment as well, but they weren't maybe so top of mind. And now that we've moved into a lot of work, a lot of online connecting, we've realized like, oh, maybe I feel differently about how I show up on digital versus how I show up in person. That's based on a current belief system that we have, or my friend Kira Day likes to call it a belief construct because we've constructed it, right? Like it's we made it up. um, And so we can change it. We can deconstruct it and rebuild it. but that's based on a construct that we have today. And a transformation is based on making decisions based off of a different construct. Um, So thinking about digital, I mean, the place to start is what is your relationship with digital? Do you think it's different? Why do you think it's different? And I think one of the things I just want to throw in here in terms of asking yourself these questions is it's not like, You're asking yourselves questions to explore. Like my current relationship with digital is quote unquote bad. And so I need to be quote unquote better, which I hate the word better. Like I don't, what does it even mean? (laughs) Better how? Um, But it's just about exploring. Like, hey, I go to online networking events and I really feel uncomfortable. Okay, what is making me really uncomfortable? Because Carol Jean, you talked about, your business peeps networking. I've been to your business peeps networking. I mean, I did create the community, but it always feels comfortable. That's the point of it is to feel welcoming and comfortable. I've been to a lot of networking events in person and online that do not feel like that. So that's a that's based on an intention. That's based on a belief construct about how it can look to build relationships online. I and mean, we challenge people's perspectives a lot in that specific arena. Um, but when you're looking at things from like a A corporate perspective, a work from home perspective, right? These are the types of conversations that we need to explore. Otherwise, we don't know what our current relationship is with digital. And then we make unintentional decisions about how to show up in action that are based on those constructs, but those constructs are not helpful to people. And most often in corporate work environments, the constructs make people. Into robots, (laughs) and I don't believe in humans as robots. There's too much potential in humans to treat us like robots. Let let the robots be robots. That's fine. We were smart enough to invent robots. Let them be that. But there's so much beauty, and this is why I'm excited to be speaking on this show too. Is that every brain has like, like such a beautiful way of combining information in a different way, and why would we take everybody? And say like, okay, all we're going to care about is productivity and how many tasks you check and so, and we're all going to be the same instead of having all of these like bright stars <laughs> that shine in your organization. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I know that there's a lot of control issues <laughs> that lead to that um, and just like the ways we've been taught to do things, but... <sighs> We'll never change those things unless we ask the question.
0: Oh, there's just so much to unpack in that, Tara. <laughs> I mean, Tracy, I was, just, I was looking at the That Tara happens all the time. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's just my we get goal. called each other all the time. It's oh fine. my gosh. I know. But Tracy, I mean, there really is. There's so much to unpack, unpack in just that section here. Oh my gosh. Number one, it's our beliefs in our indoctrination into what community is supposed to look like in real life versus digital and the value assignment that we place on that. And it's like, I think, you know, when you and I kind of talked about this before we, we started recording, but, you know, you mentioned our perceptions of the value and the validity and the experience of community in real life versus online and how over the last two years when we've been forced to go online, people have learned and and been enlightened to and that belief has been challenged that we can have connection and community in a digital way. So what are some of those things when you're looking at, you know, in real life community versus digital community when you're looking at this transformation we're talking about? Well,
1: first of all, one of the things I want to touch on is I think that our age demographic is in a very unique position because we grew up mostly without technology, right? Like we had our childhood years without technology and then it. Oh, we had an Etch-A-Sketch though. My son still has an (laughs) (laughs) Etch-A-Sketch. Although I mostly have one, one. (laughs) but like. We have, and and our parents grew up, again, like with mostly without technology, right? So if, if they're in the business environment, then they kind of got on email and computers and things like that. But our kids have a completely different relationship with digital, right? Digital just exists for them. It's part of the world. It's not something which we've created a division of value with. This is something that like our generation and older generations have done. And so it's not an innate difference at all. These kids, they grow up with digital. They have my son mostly talks to my parents on video chat because does that mean that he has an any less loving relationship with his grandparents? I don't believe so. Um, I think it's awesome because they don't live in the same city as we do. And he has access to that. And when you think about it that way, you're like, oh, yeah, well, like you could still show love for your family over digital, right? And then you're like, okay, well, if you can still show love for your family over digital, why can't you show love for other people over digital, right? Like, riddle me this. <laughs> and so it, it, it's just about like exploring those things. And regardless of what transformation we're talking about, another thing that makes transformation possible is curiosity. If we're not interested in doing something a different way, if we are too attached to what we believe right now, that we're more afraid of being wrong than of changing our ways to do something different, then we can't. And this is another, this is a human construct as well, right? We're afraid of being wrong one of the things about robots is they're programmed to not be wrong. So they don't have a fear of being wrong. Humans have a fear of being wrong. And again, that's because for years and years and years, people have told us it's bad to be wrong. We get a question wrong on a test and we lose marks, right? We get, I was talking with my dad about this the other day, about like math questions and how you used to not get like full marks unless you solved the question exactly the way you were supposed to. And I was like, what is up with that? Like, what about people whose brains puzzle math together differently and gets to the right, there's very, I I don't know any things in life where there's one way to do a thing. There's just not one way for anything, right? But if we are limiting our thoughts, then we We don't have that ability. So I know I kind of went off on a tangent there, but these are very critical things to understand in terms of getting into the conversation about, okay, well, what are some of the things we can actually do to make a transformation? And all of these things, as as much as when we talk about digital transformation, I think a lot of people are like, oh, digital transformation, implementing software systems or automation to do a thing, right, like digital transformation. No. <laughs> a digital transformation doesn't tra- a transformation doesn't happen unless the people who use the software or whatever have transformed their relationship <laughs> with showing up digitally. And so until we have a team meeting, <laughs> we listen to the people, we understand their current experience of this, and we give them an opportunity to see, how it can be different. One of the things that I feel like I do most of the time, I feel like this is pretty much my entire job, is to show people that there's a different way, a different way of thinking, a different way of doing it. Give yourself permission to explore because there isn't just one way. Even if you have, so like, let's just say, digital transformation-wise, let's just use the networking as an as example, right? So, okay, historically, I've done all my networking in person. Now I'm moving to networking online. How do I, so let's even start here. Was I happy? Was I proud of the way I was showing up at in-person networking events? Because if you weren't, you shouldn't just duplicate that
0: online. <laughs> oh my gosh. How huge is that? Like put the, <laughs> put the pin there for just a second. Guys, this is something that is so important in all things, in all aspects of our life is check in and ask yourself that question. Was I happy? Did I feel comfortable? Did I feel like I was able to show up in a way that was creating value for myself and the people I was engaging with, no matter what that is, and if the answer is no, and that's where we start to really make these transformations and these belief shifts, because for most of us in late identified autistic ADHD life, we have masked or camouflage. I say I camouflage because I took masking to the professional level, guys, for survival. But we've reached a point where we had never asked ourselves the question how do I feel? Do I like this? Is this enjoyable to me? And in this moment right now, you know. If you are looking for a job, if you are in a job and you have reflected on some of those both digital and in-person marketing and networking things that you've done to support your job or to get a job, the question is, how are you showing up? And how did it feel? And how were other people showing up? Like that, that's huge, Tracy, right there. That's just huge.
1: Well, and mean, and you're exactly right, Carol Jean. We just don't stop and ask ourselves the question. Instead, we think this is the way it's supposed to be done. So there's something wrong with me because I don't feel comfortable doing it that way. And quite honestly, this is a leadership problem, right? Like if if the leaders aren't showing up and creating space for you to explore what you want to do and how you want to do it and how you want your career to look and and all of these things, like what what is the leadership doing? We have a big problem in leadership right now because for the last 60 years, leadership has been about ego and position and control. And that's not real leadership at all. And our world is full of wonderful leaders, but most of them are not in management roles because they don't want to be, because they don't have the desire to have the ego and control and all of those things. So we have a lot of broken arenas. Politics is very broken um, on that front, is that there's lots of leaders who really want to go and, and support the people and be champions and they think the political system is poison, so they don't enter it, right? And then you're like, anyway, we're not here to talk about politics. But the most important thing about this whole conversation is ADHD brains, right? Tangents, this is what we do. Um, But (laughs) coming back to the point here is that society... Work environments, cultures, ourselves to some degree, we think there's something wrong with us. And therefore we try to camouflage or we try to mask and make it okay, but it never will feel okay for you. This is the number one thing, this whole thing about imposter syndrome, very big right now. And I just like, the thing I always say about that
0: is you'll always feel like an imposter as long as you're trying to be someone else. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes absolutely 100% yes to that. And, you know, I think that sort of brings us back to the the conversation around psychological safety. And I love one of the the segments that you wrote in your article this week is the more we dehumanize the work environment, the less potential that we have for growth. Like we take that, we remove that from ourselves. You know, you were talking about when we are, are looking at automating and systematizing things from like sort of the, the robot perspective, but the, the computer program or the automation only functions as well as the programming that's been entered into it. And that comes from the human. Mm -hmm. And when the human is not being supported or, or felt like they are given the space to be their best creative self at work to do the programming needs to be done to make this automation work, then they're going to not perform as well as they could. But we also run into the problem of they're not going to be able to grow or see anything like when we are being dehumanized and we are, are seen as a number and not a name and not like Carol Jean and, you know, all of her baggage stuff. But, you know, it's just, There's, there's this beautiful thing in knowing who you're working with on a human to human level, because then we are, we feel less defensive. So when we're talking about psychological safety, you know, we, when we don't feel safe, we have got some pretty big freaking barrier walls put up to protect ourselves so that we can survive. But when we're in that protective survival mode, we aren't communicating. We're not having conversations. And that is stagnating the growth potential in our lives, in our companies, in our businesses. And I love that you talk about this. So Tracy, from your perspective and, and the work that you do in the world, where do you see, how do we take maybe a corporate culture that, has been operating in that very broken model. You know, hey, we've all learned these things in business school and in business management classes. And we're talking about corporate structure and all of the the parts and components. And it's like this cookie cutter approach to, we need to be able to take this person from this thing and plug them in over here. And they should be able to function here and here. Mm -hmm. And, And they might be totally different things. But that's the thought. So in that, sometimes we're in we're put into that sort of survival mode and we don't show up as ourselves at work. We show up as this masked performance version of ourselves because that's what feels safe in that environment. So when we have corporate cultures or or business environments and cultures that are still maybe operating that way, because that's the only one that they know. That's what they learned in school. That's what's been taught for decades. And that's, you know, we see that. There needs to be a shift or a change, but we don't know how to do it. How do we start to shift and transform our corporate cultures to create psychological safety? Well, the thing that's really interesting
1: for me is in, in everything you said, Carol Jean. I just heard cogs in a machine. Right. I have a job description. I'm going to plug someone in there. And then when they don't work, I'm going to replace them with another cog in the machine. Right. We're treating humans like a cog in a machine. And when you treat a human like a cog in a machine, that's all they can ever be is a cog in a machine. And so you need to look, we need to look top down on how we run our business. And be honest with ourselves. And this is one of the biggest challenges in a corporate workspace is to be able to be honest with yourself to say like, wow, I'm totally treating my people like cogs in a machine. I like I've done a lot of work in sales and marketing. It's specifically bad in sales and marketing because people are just like, oh, you're a video editor. So I'll just plug you in and you're the exact same as any video editor. And like, this is not true at all. Especially for creative people, because how creative people see the world is very individualistic. There is no way to just plug and play a person. And so if our structures and process treat people like cogs, then just imagine like this. You built a machine. Right. And all the all the cogs have their place and they get the oil, even if they're oil and they're running smoothly. right? Does that machine grow? Does it get bigger? No, it can only function exactly how it's built, right? So, if we want our corporations to only ever function exactly as they were built when they were small businesses, then fine. (laughs) You want to stay tiny and niche your entire career? That's fine. Most companies, don't want to do that. Most companies want to grow. They want to have more impact. They want to help more people. They want to employ more people, right? Like they want to grow. But as long as you treat people like cogs, you are the one that is actually hampering the growth. And the cogs that want to grow aren't going to grow and break your machine. They're going to go away and go grow somewhere else, right? So, we just have to be really honest with ourselves to say like, well, shoot, (laughs) this is what we did. We did it unknowingly because mostly we've done it unknowingly, right? Like it seems simple to build it this way and we'll structure that like this. And then it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And if we want this to work, we want this to grow. We Actually, on a values level, do care about our employees, and now we're realizing that we have all these processes, structure, in place that actually hinders our employees by being for from being productive, from being fulfilled, from being a contribution, from being creative, from being innovative. And you'll get entire companies that are like our number one value is innovation. Except you can't come to the meeting where we generate ideas. (laughs) Well, is that really innovation then? Or is that like some really controlled version? And if you have a really controlled version, why do you have a really controlled version? And until we start to like be able to ask these questions in a way that isn't attacking ourselves, then we'll stay stuck in old ways. Um, and one of the other things, so that's from kind of the corporate perspective, but one of the, one I want to share from like the employee perspective as well, coming from a place where I was constantly the cog in the machine that was trying to break the machine (laughs) because I was trying to grow. Um, it's very hard. It's hard to be that cog machine. This is why people leave. Right. And even me, like, when I think about me and who I am and what I want to be, even before I had clarity on really what that was, I knew I wasn't a cog in a machine. I had no interest in ever being a cog in the machine. My brain is too, there's like too much brilliance to just go to work and do the same thing every day. And personal branding. So this is what I do. Personal branding is about you finding that belief. In yourself to know that, hey, my company might be sending me to this networking event and they expect me <laughs> to come back with 10 business cards. I'll share this example with you guys because this is something that happened to me. I was at a, it was in New York, like this was before COVID, but at a networking event, my boss, did, there was like, I don't know, six of us there or something from the company. And she was like, okay, you can't come home, can't come back to Canada <laughs> unless you get 10 business cards. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So what did I do? I just walked around and I was like, hey, my boss said I can't come home unless I get 10 business cards. Can I have yours? (laughs) And I got 10 business cards in like 10 minutes because I didn't care about the reason she wanted us to get business cards, which was to build. And the, the whole point of that was to actually say, the point of us attending this networking events is to build relationships with people that will potentially turn into business. And so go and socialize the way you would socialize, whether that even means standing in the corner. I have had like some amazing conversations with the one other person standing in the corner because I didn't want to talk to anybody else. I just wanted to talk to this person. They look like I'm not going to have to get in big conversation. They look nice. (laughs) They don't look scary. So I'm going to go over there and you build. That's a, a real relationship generally that you build. So maybe it's maybe it's one. But maybe it's one relationship that actually turns into something instead of just sending your team out and getting ten business cards. Which, quite honestly, I'm like I think I'm connected to one of those people <laughs> on LinkedIn because I told her what I was doing, and then she like teamed me, and she was like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna win this contest. <laughs> we're gonna be the first to get you ten business cards." But that's also like I didn't build a relationship with her because we were talking about work. We were talking about me turning this into a contest so I can beat my coworkers. <laughs> and she related to that, right? That's a real human connection. It's not like me walking around the room, pitching and exchanging business cards, right? I was never good at that because I don't believe in that. I've never done it, but you have to have that confidence to know that like, okay, this is what you think you want me to do, but this is what I'm going to (laughs) do, And, and there's a lot of fear that can come with that, right? Like people are afraid of losing their jobs and things of that nature. But quite honestly, some, sometimes like I ended up quitting that job, but I was like, I'm kind of surprised I never got fired because I was always just like, I gonna do this, except what I did worked in terms of building relationships. So it didn't matter at the end of the day. Um, but like knowing that about you, believing that you have value, no matter how much another person, an amazing leader or boss or community creates the space for you to feel psychologically safe, it doesn't mean that you believe that you have value as a person. So there is a journey that you need to go on individually as well to bring that value this was the, the carol Jean was mentioning the lady in our community who recently got a job and the biggest transition she made from the last set of interviews to this set of interviews where she got two offers was she owned her story she had a 17 year career gap or something because she stayed at home to take care of her kids and i asked her once i'm like if you put more value on that than the interviewer does it's always going to be a problem You have to believe it's not an issue. And if you believe it's not an issue, then you can convince the (laughs) hiring team that it's not an issue. But as long as you believe that it makes you a less worthy candidate than other people, you will show up like you're a less worthy candidate than other people. And usually being surrounded by community people who see that in you, who like see your awesomeness when you don't see your awesomeness. This is, makes it easier to start to have those conversations because we all have, every single human has value and how you want to show up and show your value is like, again, society likes to judge. I was talking to someone else about this the other day, like doctors and lawyers have the most value (laughs) in society. And you're like, you know what? My father-in-law was a garbage man, <laughs> he isn't a recycling man for a little bit as well. But he like came and took people's trash away. <laughs> right? And he was so proud of it. And he collected a bunch of like crazy stuff because the stuff that people throw away, sometimes is shocking. Um, but like, he is a person to me that has like one of the strongest personal brands I've ever experienced in terms of creating impact for other people. And he was a garbage man just because you're a garbage man or a janitor or a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a farmer or a personal branding coach or a dancer. My sister's a good, like professional hip hop dancer, right? And you're like, or an artist, right? Like none of these things, society has created this construct of job titles that have more value. Therefore the people have more value. And As long as, again, we believe that construct, we'll think, well, I'm not as good because I'm not a lawyer. I have a sister who's a lawyer and I'm just like, not worse than her, not better than her, different than her. I had different value to society than her. I wouldn't want to be a lawyer. So God bless the lawyers, because I wouldn't want to do that. (laughs) I say, God bless the doctors, because I can't deal with the sight of blood at all (laughs) without fainting. And so I couldn't do that. I actually couldn't do that job. So if I hold myself to this level of I'm no good because I wasn't good enough to good enough, air quotes, to be a doctor, that's not a thing. That's a societal construct. So we need to start to explore like, where are these places where we're feeling like we're not good enough? Why do I feel like I'm not good enough? Because the answer isn't, you're not good enough. The answer is someone is creating an environment where you feel that way. Society has taught you that for 40 years or 50 years. It's a, that's a hard habit to break, right? But when you realize that that doesn't come from you, You get to build the construct. You get to decide what is my value as a human. And then once you have that, that your external environment won't be able to treat you like you have no value anymore. Because you'll be like, well, if you don't see my value, then that's your problem. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I don't have value. And so I'll go somewhere where I'm appreciated.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. You know, that was, I think... Over the last two years, you know, with 40 plus million people leaving their positions in the great resignation, you know, we look at that and 20 to 40% is the estimate and it's a pretty big range. So I just say, let's just use the 30%. We'll just use the median in this one, right? Our neurodivergent brains when we're looking at that, we have over 4 million people in 2021 who are neurodivergent brains who left a position. Then you got like, you know, 36 plus million other people of other brain types. But when you're looking at this and they were talking and looking into why people were leaving, you know, like 80% of, and you and I have talked about this before, talking and asking people why they were leaving positions and then not valuing why they told you they left, not, not looking as a company. That's for a different episode. (laughs) Right. Totally. But part, part of this conversation in corporate culture is, you know, when we're talking about retention and retaining the talent and the people that we've hired, because we want to cultivate them because we see their, their potential and their value. As just as they are and how they bring that same internal sense of value and creativity and productivity and just their innovative selves and their, their desire and their personal values and why that are in alignment with hopefully our corporate company culture and values and why. And when we got that, man, that's something so special. That's worth nurturing and cultivating. And we can't do that if we're in a dehumanized robot environment. And what I love is that you, you talk about people need to know how to embrace their humanity. And you really just spoke to that so beautifully without me asking, which I love.
1: <laughs> I love you just going. I and get going. Everything. And then
0: I just, you, <laughs> I know that's what I love about you, Tracy. I do. I love it so much. But when we're talking about that and it's, it really is that it, it starts with us, the individual and, knowing our values, knowing our why, knowing our worth. And I think it's a lot of times, especially in late identified neurodivergent life, we don't give ourselves permission or allow ourselves to sit in the value that we have. Because for so long, we believed we were broken. We believed we were doing it wrong. We, we didn't understand why we were different and people noticed that we were different and we worked very hard to no longer stick out or be different. And really and truly, we sort of roboted ourselves out of our humanity to survive. And, you know, you go through sort of this death of your ego and your identity when you learn in, in later life that, oh, gosh, your brain's just different. You've got an amazing brain. It just functions differently than sort of the neuromajority. majority. And really, if we're talking about stuff and we're talking about all the different brains under the neurodivergent umbrella, and we're looking sometimes between, you know, 30 to 50 percent in a population, any given population, being a neurodivergent brain, be that dyslexic, or, you know, ADHD, or dyspraxic, or bipolar, or any of those things, there's a whole lot of us. There isn't really a minority. We are an equal partner in this. I mean, we're almost a 50-50. And when we are not really creating space where we're saying, people aren't broken. So fixing them isn't a relevant conversation. That's something that you said in your article that I was like, Oh yes, yes, yes. Because none of us, no matter our neurotype, we are not broken. There is no fixing. It's not a relevant conversation. And I just, I just want you guys to like digest that for a minute, because for a lot of us, you know, we felt othered and, you know, you shared in your profile, how on LinkedIn, you fit in just enough to feel safe in all these different groups. You know, we're both basketball players. You and I are volleyball players and, you know, dancers and and intellectuals. And so we have like these different groups. And I so related to that because I was like, yes, I had all of these different groups that I participated in and I fit in just enough to kind of like slide under the radar and nobody thought, oh, that's weird or you're different or whatever you know, I was in drama, and but I was also, you know, playing basketball and tennis and all this kind of stuff. But you look at it and it's like, did I really allow myself to be different? And when I show up and kind of like what we talked about with our, our friend and your business peeps, when we start showing up with the knowledge and the agreement with ourselves that we have value in our differences and that I'm not a cookie cutter. I don't fit in a cookie cutter mold. I'm not the cog in that wheel. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shove the pencil between the cogs. I'm going to break the machine because it's broken. I see that it's broken and I want to be something different. How do we really start? I mean, You spoke to a lot of different things about really starting from the inside. And I, I always talk about starting from the inside out because it's not about what we're doing. It's about who are we being in the world? But if we're looking at shifting and getting people to transform, and it starts with those beliefs, how do we start communicating that people aren't broken? How do we start bringing the humanity back into our culture, not just at work, but just in life and community, Tracy?
1: Well, this is a very big project, <laughs> careful Jean, because we, we're we not showing up that way right now. And if it's there's 8 billion people on the planet and the global culture is influenced by all 8 billion people, there's not one single person who doesn't influence a culture. So whether you're a, a corporate environment or yourself or a community or what have you, every single organism impacts that culture. And so unless every single organism (laughs) believes that there's more to be learned through curiosity than there is to be feared being wrong, we will create these limitations on ourselves to go deeper because we need to get curious about ourselves and we need to do it in a way where we don't feel guilty. <laughs> and I will tell you this, if that is something you have done for your whole life, it is not something you can just do tomorrow. Personal brand transformations are a constant evolution and they are not like I turn on the light switch. And now I'm transformed. <laughs> like it transformation is a process. It's an exploration. There's a level of getting it wrong. Right. You'll learn something about yourself. You'll be like, ah,
0: I can't believe I, I, I learn more when that. I'm wrong than when I'm right.
1: I think Everybody learns more when they're wrong. I think everybody should be excited to be wrong because it means you something.
0: I think that's so huge. I love that, Tracy. Yes, I get excited about being wrong and I'm not afraid of it because when I'm wrong or when I make a mistake or something doesn't work out, I, I don't even like to say that things are right or wrong. I think it's it's all neutral. It's just data. Mm-hmm. It's just data. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And now you've learned
1: (laughs) more data so you can make a more informed decision. And so yesterday I didn't have said data and I made X decision yesterday. Well, now I have said data. So now I can make a different decision. And we put so much like we forget that it's supposed to be an evolution. Right. So then we're like, well, that person I was yesterday was so bad, right? Like what a bad person, because I made a racist comment or I didn't use the right pronouns or I didn't using examples of things I have actually done. (laughs) And I'm like, I, I'm trying. And because I'm a human and not a machine, I am going to get I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have intentions that don't match the impact that I made. But when I think that means there's something wrong with me, all I do is get into a negative thought pattern about how I'm the worst. And that doesn't help anybody. If I get new information and I'm like, oh, okay, I can see how that didn't equate to that. I thought it was going to in my brain, but it didn't. So now I can adjust and now I can get closer to making the impact that I want to make. That's growth. This is what we're talking about. The whole episode <laughs> transformation, right? Like, Unless we can do that and build on what we already know, we don't have growth. We just have stagnation and like I don't know that there's anybody, maybe there's a handful of people, but not many people in the world that would be like, yes, please, I would like for everything forever to stay exactly the same as it is today, (laughs) right? Like, I I wouldn't vote for that. And I'm kind of a, like, I fight strongly against the status quo. I always believe if we've decided something is status quo, then there's always something more to be explored. (laughs) My son watches this TV show called The Number Blocks there's these little numbers that add themselves up and all these things he's for. And they always are saying there's always more to explore that you can always get a bigger number if you just add one, right? Facts, facts. (laughs) And when we incorporate these types of simple concepts into our belief constructs about ourselves, plus one always adds to more. Oh, well, then why wouldn't I want more facts, more knowledge, more connections, more conversations? It always leads to more. It never leads to less. The only thing that leads to less is not opening the door. It's actively shutting doors. If you go around actively shutting doors, that is going to lead to best case scenario staying exactly the same. <laughs> um, But it will not lead to growth. So, whether you're looking for personal growth, professional growth, corporate growth, what have you, that growth potential lives in humans being able to evolve and learn and grow. And if you're not supporting that and you want to, right, you might listen to this and be like, oh, well, I never noticed all of these things that our corporation or the processes and procedures were doing that was handcuffing the. I like to say that we're actively like snuffing out people's candles, right? So like you hire me because I'm a beacon of light and then all of your processes and procedures go around snuffing out candles. Well, is that the point of hiring candles? Well, no, it's not. We didn't realize that our processes were going about snuffing out candles. Okay, great. So let's create other processes that don't go around (laughs) snuffing out candles. But as as long as you believe that Oh, this was the number one thing that I hate, actually. If you want to just hire unlit candles because you're just going to go around stuffing them out, that's fine. Just be clear with people in the hiring process. We, You're coming here and we have no intention of lighting your spark. <laughs> we want you to come and be a cog in the machine. there's probably a lot of people now who won't choose that, but at least you're being honest, right? This was the one thing I appreciated about Tesla's announcement is they're like, do I agree with most of the things they're expecting of their employees? No, which means I'm not going to go work there. That doesn't mean that's wrong. I actually am proud of them for being like, this is what they believe. They don't believe the same thing as me, but they believe it enough to stand up for it and say, this is how we do it here. And if you don't want to do it this way, then go work elsewhere. And that gives people the option to choose that. But if you pretend that you want to ignite candles and then everything in the work environment goes about snuffing them out, then people are like, well, didn't you hire me because you wanted me to come and like shine here with my unique brain and the way, unique way I put things together? Like, and and that's again, that's a corporate culture problem the corporation is going to have to deal with that. But you can still know, like, I'm a candle, I'm here to be a candle. I want to light people's passion on fire. And if I can't do that here, then I need to go explore somewhere where I can do that. Because that's, I mean, that's pretty much exactly what happened to me. I have to go explore how I can do that, because I can't do it here. And I need to do that. It's part of who I am. And this is the thing too, I just want to from the neurodiversity perspective, I know we're going long. I get talking about it. and Sorry, guys. <laughs> but um, I've heard so many people, specifically in the job search, who are saying like, well, I went to the interview and then I stumbled over my answers because I have this or this and that. And what can I do to like fix, fix me, fix, fix the situation, right? And you're like, the number one thing when we talked about fixing people, fixing people, isn't a thing. People are not broken. Machines can be broken. You fix a machine. People are not broken. People are unique. And if people don't understand your uniqueness, maybe there's something we can do in terms of our confidence in our uniqueness to communicate that better. But there's always going to, there's people who don't understand my uniqueness. There's people who don't understand Carol G's uniqueness and they don't like us and they don't follow us and they don't buy our services and they don't whatever. And that's fine. There will always be people (laughs) who don't like you, but if, we actively go in and we pile all the masks on. And then we say like, this is me. And then that you don't hire you. And then you're like, oh, what's wrong with me? Well, maybe what's wrong with you is you wore all these masks (laughs) to the interview. Maybe you just needed to show up more like you. And then at least you would know, like, there's so much effort that goes into pretending, right? There's so much mental calories being spent pretending to be someone else and then we get rejected for that version of us and that's not the real version of us anyway but we still take it on as if it's like someone rejecting me and like quite honestly they're rejecting like some acting character I came up with that isn't me right so you don't even know but we have to be brave enough to say like you know what I I got rejected from a job once after I I quit my last job and before I started consulting. And I, when I remember getting the rejection email and just thinking like, what a terrible decision, (laughs) like you will never find somebody better for this position than me. And if you want to decide to not choose me, then I'm actually kind of glad that you said no, because probably wouldn't have got along very well in the organization. And, And this is the thing, right? Like, do you believe? Do you believe in yourself? And I will tell you the reason you don't believe in yourself enough right now is because you're not surrounded by enough people who believe in you. And there's just all the societal narrative. And there will always be that, as long as we are all who are listening to this, maybe people are listening to this 100 years from now, who knows? But like today, around the time where we're recording it, I don't know that we'll live to see a society that doesn't have all that societal narrative about what it means to be ADHD or that it's bad to be dyslexic, right? Like, that, this is society's words. We can let them be our words or we cannot let them be our words. That's our construct. We get to decide. That's not truth, that is someone's belief construct they are shoving in our face. <laughs> And we can believe it or we cannot
0: believe it. That's up to you. Oh, that, that my friend is where the power lies. It's our choice. We can choose to believe someone else's truth. or We can ask ourselves, what is my truth? And just because you believe something or you have ascribed to a truth for yourself today, doesn't mean that it's the same one for tomorrow. Like you said, we are constantly growing and evolving. And the more we can be open to ourselves and the more self compassion and self love that we extend within our own agency, that translates out into the world. And that's where we start making these really amazing connections. Tracy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having this conversation about transformation and the uniqueness of each person and how our shining candle can get snuffed out. But what do we do and how do we do it? And how do we start bringing back and embracing our humanity and understanding that no one is broken. We are just unique and different. And that that is truly what makes us beautiful. And being a cog in the wheel, you know, I'm all for disrupting the status quo. I am all for it. I am right there with you. So how can people best connect with you? Um, How can they start learning more about TLB coaching and join us over in your business peeps?
1: Yes. Um, So LinkedIn is where I mostly hang out. I have a live uh, LinkedIn live series I do every week called conversations, which is just about opening the can of worms. on conversations such as this and other conversations that I feel like we need to have that people are not having. Um, So you can come and follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to have a coffee chat and learn more about you and your wonderful, unique personal brand because everybody has one. Um, TLB Coaching, so I have my website. My website is linked on my LinkedIn page. So again, come find me there. Everything you can find (laughs) from LinkedIn. Um, I do write a blog um, that is on my website. So that is where you can find a lot of my articles Kohl's and, um, Carol Jean was relate, was referencing one of them in our episode today. Um, all of those are on my blog, tlbcoaching.com and then your business peeps, which is www.yourbusinesspeeps.com. Um, It's a community. It's a community of people. So like if you feel like you've got your light snuffed out, it's like a whole bunch of people with little matches that will come and relight your light and then hold up a mirror so you can reflect all of your sparkle to other places and other locations. Um, We would love to have you. We have different levels of membership in terms of different levels of support. So come check it out, yourbusinesspeeps.com. We would absolutely love to have you.
0: And I will have all of those links down in the show notes below. So you guys can go connect with Tracy so you can go experience this amazing community and start lighting your light back shining in the world because each and every one of you has an incredible light and the light that you have is the spark that the person next to you may need today. So be sure you're continuing to shine that light. Tracy, thank you so much for being here today. Guys, we'll see you next week. If you feel like you've masked and camouflaged your way through life just to survive, you're not alone. I was there too. It led me into what I call the chronic cycle burnout loop. What we what we fail to ask ourselves most often, especially what we start to recognize in late identified life, is that we thought. We had our values, we thought we knew what they were or what our core values were, and we identify them. We know what they are for the most part. However, our internal world, that which happens inside of us, our hearts and our minds and our bodies, isn't in alignment with our exterior world. The world around us is a scary place sometimes, especially when we aren't sure why it's so difficult or maybe why we don't get things or why everybody else seems to be saying, you know, hey, why don't you get that? You know, everybody gets that. It makes sense like why do we have to explain that and why do you ask why all the time? There's so many elements to burnout, especially when you've been in it for a long time. You've been on that chronic cycle loop. Getting out of it can feel really hard and almost impossible. If that's where you are today and you'd like some help with that, hop on over to resources.mindyourautisticbrain.com and look at the one-to-one coaching application for my unveiling method, Burnout to Thriving, Foundation's four-part coaching series. There's an application there to find out, hey, is Carol Jean your jam? Is this really the best uh, solution for me right now? Because I want to make sure I provide you with the resources and the support that meet you where you are today. That's really important to me. I know what it's like to be in burnout, and I've been in some pretty rough ones. I'm now in year three and a half of living burnout, shutdown, and meltdown free. Hey, it is not an easy road, but having someone to guide you who's been there and gotten to the other side is priceless. Hop on over and check it out. I look forward to meeting you soon. Tell me more about you.